want to invite my uh, good friend Scott Harden to the to the stage. Scott has um, recently graduated from Life Ministry Institute, and uh, he uh, graduation was yesterday, I think, at 11:30. Is that right? So um, he's going to read our text this morning, and uh, I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 17. And uh, I'm going to do something we don't normally do on Sunday, but we're going to read an entire chapter in one uh, in one sitting here. Um, in, in preaching school, they say, don't do that because your church will fall asleep. And uh, now it's even worse. I'm going to ask for your discipline because I'm actually going to ask you to, to close your eyes and pray with, with us as, we, as he reads this. And so I'm trusting that you won't fall asleep. Um, but I want to set the stage for this very amazing uh, text that we're about to read. Uh, we're continuing John's gospel, our study through John's gospel. We're now in chapter 17. And in John 17, Jesus, uh, we know, has... Uh, just finished the uh, dinner in the upper room. Uh, he's left the upper room. He's uh, about to be arrested. And uh, as they are uh, walking down the hill, they uh, come across some uh, vineyards. And one vineyard, Jesus gives this illustration of the vine and the branches. And we saw that. Uh, chapters 15. And then in chapter 16, he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then he continues down across the Kidron Valley. You know, he's on his way to Gethsemane. And before he gets to Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus, he stops. And he lifts his head toward heaven. And he prays. Have you ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be great to hear how Jesus prays? There's a few of his prayers written in Scripture, and this is the longest one that's recorded. Some have said that this particular text is the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to eavesdrop on the Trinity. Father God, Father the, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is beginning to pray and plead and just pour his heart out. And so I want to encourage you to listen. Uh, if you want to read the text as we're going along, feel free to do that. But... Listen to this very, very carefully as the Lord prays. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life. To all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given to me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. 
and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the word has the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and that they may be one as we are one. In the, I in them, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Lord, would you open your word to us this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, open your word to us and speak to our hearts. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. I won't have time today to go through every aspect of that prayer. And I would just ask you this week to go and study through that. Um, Some of Jesus' last words before the cross. This morning, um, I'm going to try something which I don't think anyone should try to do in one sermon And that is, I'm going to do two simple things. One is I'm going to try to define the Trinity and explain the meaning of life. So, as I got to putting this sermon together, I thought, Chad, what have you done? What are you trying to do? Uh, You know, I love love the new uh, technology. Uh, There's this uh, phone. This is the new iPhone. And... uh, uh, it has this really cool voice. Uh, her name is Siri, and uh, I just want to talk to her for just a second. Uh, Siri, where can I find pizza?
restaurant matching Siri isn't far from you. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Siri, who is the fairest of them all? Dude, you are full fair. This is true, but... No, you're definitely the fairest one of all. Hey, she's really smart, too. What is the meaning of life? I find it odd that you would ask this of an inanimate object. <laughs> what is your purpose? I'm here to help. Just ask what can I say and I'll show you what I can do. Wow. I find it interesting that... Uh, can you make sure that that's off for the rest of the service? <laughs> She's going to drive us nuts. I find it interesting that a mechanical device uh, tried to even handle what is the meaning of life, but understood her purpose for life, or its purpose for life. I'm calling her a her. And I think if, if a device like that can understand the purpose of its existence, shouldn't we, as created beings, People created by God. You know, I think there's at least three questions that everybody wants the answers to. Number one, who am I? What's my purpose? And how can I be happy? How can I find happiness? And of course, you know, the answer to these questions depends really on who you ask, doesn't it? Because you're going to get a different answer. If you ask Siri and that little computer, you're going to get one answer. If you ask your friend, you're going to get another. If you ask your boss, you're going to get another. Now, Scripture provides answers to these questions, but answers them, or actually asks them in a little different way. If you come to Scripture and you ask that question, you say, well, you want to know uh, who you are? Scripture is going to say, well, then you need to ask this question, that is, ask who is God? If you want to know who you are, ask who is God? Want to know who, your purpose in life? Then we need to ask, why did God create me? You want to know how to be happy? We need to ask this question, and that is, what does make God happy? You see, and this is the principle that we're looking at this morning, and that is you cannot understand the meaning of life unless you understand the nature of God himself. And I believe the key to understanding that is a word that is mentioned at least nine times in Jesus' prayer. And this morning, I'm really going to focus on that word and about the first five verses of Jesus' prayer. And the word here, the key word is glory. Glory. And Jesus in his prayer highlights at least three aspects of glory, and I want to highlight those. They are, number one, God's eternal glory, Christ's hour of glory, and then our invitation to eternal glory. And before we move on, then we need to ask this question, what does it mean to glorify? What does it mean to give glory? Well, to glorify is to reveal something that has been hidden. We... When we went through John chapter 2, we saw this verse, excuse me, John chapter 1 and verse 14, said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. In other words, Jesus himself has revealed the glory of God that had been hidden to us. And the question is then, how do we, how do we give glory to people? How do we glorify one another? Well, it's very much the same way Jesus glorified his father. It's when we praise and we appreciate someone. It's when we serve 
someone. And we see that Jesus, throughout his whole life, did exactly that. And that is, he praised, served, and did exactly what his Father in heaven had asked him to do. And notice in Jesus' prayer, verses 1 through 5, how there is this... uh, how the glory of God the Father and the God the Son are related here in the first five verses. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify, uh, that your Son may glorify you. And he's speaking in the present tense, that I'm going to glorify you now, Father. And then in verses 4 and 5, he says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, Jesus is speaking about a glory that he's going to give his Father right then. And he's speaking now also of a glory that he's always had in eternity. And so we see this, that the Father and the Son, Father God and the Son of God, have been glorifying one another since before the world began. And I can't go any farther without underscoring the fact that we're now speaking about God as a trinity. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, assume and describe God as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, of the four Gospels, the one that we've been studying, John's Gospel, we see the the concept of the trinity the most explicit. In fact, Jesus has just been explaining to his disciples in the vineyard about the Holy Spirit. He was going to send uh, God the Holy Spirit to come and be a helper and a comforter. We spoke about the Holy Spirit this morning during our worship time, how he releases us of our bonds and our chains. And it, it's hard to wrap our minds around the idea of, a, of, of, of God as a trinity. Because this is, the, this is the principle that we understand. That as a, as, as a trinity, God is one being... And three persons. Not three beings. He's one being and three persons. And as even as I say it, as I said, people have been trying to explain this. It's just very difficult to get our arms around, our minds around. Some metaphors have been used to sort of explain that. And that is how it could be, how he could be three and be one at the same time. Some have said, well, it's like water. Water can exist as a gas, you know, the vapor, and, and it can also be, exist as a solid, as ice, and it also can be as a liquid that we drink. And every metaphor that we use to try to explain God always falls short because whenever you try to explain God, <laughs> how? How do we explain God? He's just so amazing. But nevertheless, we are eavesdropping in his prayer, Jesus' prayer now, on a conversation between Jesus and the other two members of the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son. And so the first thing we want to highlight here is God's eternal and mutual glory. I say it's mutual glory because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are constantly eternally working for the glory of one another. It's eternal. And that is this mutual, mutual glorification has been happening since before the world began. Think about relationships. When, when you... How do you glorify somebody? Well, if you love somebody, what do you do? You praise them. You adore them. You say nice things about them. You, you say, you know, uh, your wish is my command. Right. You glorify them. Now, when we speak of God's love, when we speak of God's love, we usually are referring to God's love for us, right? That's normally what we think of when we think of God's love. But that's not what's in view here. What's in view here is God's love among the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
This is a conversation where Jesus is expressing his love and glory for his Father. Where the Holy Spirit, though not specifically mentioned, is in the background. Ready to come at the command of Christ. To be with us, to be, as Jesus would say, in us. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. That for all eternity, they, meaning the Trinity, have been pouring glory, love, and joy into one another's hearts in degrees we cannot imagine. And have done so since before the beginning of time. What does all this mean? Well, with that kind of glory giving in the Godhead, one can only assume that God is infinitely happy. God is infinitely happy. Imagine if you lived that kind of an existence where you never had to demand glory, but you always received it, whether you demanded it or not. And this is, this is the condition of God. You know, Avon and I, we love each other very, very much. And we're always trying to please each other. We don't always do it as well as we'd like. Uh, you know, she says, oh, you're so handsome. You're so funny. She laughs at my jokes even when they're not funny. Just a, she's a good girl, I know. You can tell when she knows I have a joke coming on Sunday morning and she already knows the, 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 the answer. She knows people are probably looking at her, so she'll just kind of shake her shoulders like this. So, so that you think she's laughing. I don't know if she does that or not, but I can see her doing that. But you know, if I have to fish for a compliment, it's never as satisfying, is it? When you have to fish for a compliment, you know, hey, how do I look today, honey? Uh, you look fine. It doesn't feel as good as when you walk out of the room and you're dressed up and, and she looks at you and goes, dude, you're really looking nice today. That's just, that's a compliment that's unsolicited, it's undemanded. Last Sunday, at, uh, right after church, we had a recital here. Yvonne is a piano teacher, and she had, uh, I don't know, 30 students or so in here, and parents, and this room was really full, completely, of parents and grandparents and kids playing piano and all that. And I was sitting at the soundboard, uh, running the sound, and she was up front, and she came up and introduced herself. And as she did, there was this uh, spontaneous applause that broke out for Yvonne. And she, uh, she blushes, she does, it's great, I love watching that about her. Do you know who started that applause? And you know why? Because I knew that all those people in the room were all insecure, worried about, are they going to play their song right? And then the grandma and grandpa and the mom and dad are wondering, is my kid going to screw up and embarrass the family forever? And here Yvonne is standing up, pouring her heart out to the family, and none of them are thinking about her, but I am. Because why? I wanted to glorify my wife. I wanted to love her. I wanted to express that to her. Now that's easy. She loves me back. Imagine Jesus Christ now going to the cross and giving himself up for people who are going to give him no glory at all. They're going to kill him. And yet he's going to do that anyway. It's one thing to give glory to somebody who's going to love you back. But now on the eve of the cross, he is praying, and he knows that his moment of glory is coming. He's giving glory back to his Father, and the moment of glory that he's giving to the planet Earth to redeem it. People that don't even appreciate who he is have spit on him and are going to beat him to a pulp. 
And you see, that glory thing that is taking place, that's what's happening behind the scenes in the Trinity. These divine persons, they're not seeking to glorify themselves. But we see that the Son glorifies the Father and the Spirit. The Father glorifies the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit glorifies uh, the Father and the Son. And this here is a recipe for eternal happiness. And understand this. Since you were created, and I need you to catch this. This is so important. Hear me, please. You were created in God's image. And the secret to your happiness is not found in your ability to get glory, but your ability to give it. There is no greater joy than living to glorify God. This, in fact, is your purpose for life, to glorify God, to make God smile. And this, by the way, gives us some incredible insight as to why God made us, why God created people. You know, it's been suggested that God created us so that he could be worshipped. Like God needed these little minions. Would you worship me, people, little people on earth? I just, oh, thank you. That makes me feel so much better. Like God needed worshipers. Is that why? Well, here's the thing. We, we know that God, according to Jesus' prayer, has always had mutual, eternal glory and worship among the members of the Trinity. If God were alone in the universe, one might think, well, yeah, he was lonely and he needed some worshipers. But there's community in the Godhead, perfect unity, community, love, worship, glory. And so for God, no human worship could ever match the mutual, mutual glorification that already exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. People, we need to understand this. God didn't create us to get worship for himself. He's already got infinite happiness and glory. Why did he create us? He created us not to get love, not to get joy, not to get glory, but he created us to share it. God has so much, he just wants to give it. That's why he created us. There's a multiplying effect in creation that what he has always had in eternity, he is now pouring out in creation. And so God created, number two there on your notes, God created the world to share his love. Jesus said this in, in verse 22 of his prayer. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In the, in the, I in them and you in me. You see, Jesus' prayer reveals this, reveals what God wants most for humanity, that we would experience the perfect unity, the perfect love, the perfect glory that exists already within the Trinity. And here's what this means. This is so amazing, that since you were created in God's image, your ultimate happiness comes the same way as God's happiness, by giving glory and not getting it. Your absolute highest purpose, your absolute highest meaning is to glorify God above all things. And to be a glory giver, a glory giver. You were created not to be a glory getter. You were created to be a glory giver, a glory giver. You know what this means? This means you will never, ever find happiness. You'll never find happiness when you demand glory, when you demand attention. 
The only way to be truly happy is to live to glorify others and to glorify God. Think about it this way. I mean, if, if getting glory was the secret to happiness, then wouldn't famous celebrities be the happiest people on earth? But who are the most miserable people on earth? We read in tabloids, you know, and they got to go to rehab, right? You know, and, and I think we, we, th- we look at those celebrities and we think, well, that's them and, you know, we're not them and, you know, they're just all messed up. But you see, what is in them is magnified, I think, what already exists in us. Because we need rehab, too. Because we have an addiction. You know what it is? It's an addiction to ourselves. It's an addiction to needing to be glorified. And the healthiest habit we could ever create, we could ever do, isn't getting glory, isn't demanding glory, but learning how to give it to one another. Because there is a holy trinity, and I've just spoken about the holy trinity. You know there's also an unholy trinity? You know what it is? It's me, myself, and I. Yeah, that demanding self. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. It's all about me. We're kind of selfish people, aren't we? Is it just me? It is. You're all nodding head. Pastor, it's just you. It's just you. Okay. Someone, I'm, amen. Let's go home. Let's go to the baseball game. Everybody pray for the pastor. He's a selfish jerk. <laughs> no, you're not going to pray for me or no one. Gonna... Anyway. Um... <laughs> I digress. You know, everybody worships, everybody worships something, don't, don't we? I mean, think about the atheist who says, I'm not religious. And they say, well, I don't worship something. Do you know that the atheist and even the Christian have the same, have something in common? You know what it is? It's the tendency to want to worship ourselves. I didn't say we always do, but I said it's the tendency, it's the temptation to worship ourselves. Have you ever thought about this? You know when someone says something to you that just irks you, just ticks you off, makes you mad, just sticks in your craw, you know, that thing that all day long, you just, and you come home and you, you tell your wife, do you know what so-and-so said? You know what I'm talking about, right? Why does that make you so mad? Why? You know why it is? It's because you're giving more weight and glory to what other people think about you than you are to what God thinks about you. In those moments, we're more preoccupied with not getting the glory that you deserve. It's like you've been robbed, cheated of the glory that you know that you deserve. And it's humiliating when you don't get it. And you know what that is? That makes you so unhappy. Makes you miserable, doesn't it? Why? Because you weren't created to be a glory getter, but you were created to be a glory giver. Understand this. Ultimately, demanding glory is at its roots satanic. I'm going to say that again. Ultimately, demanding glory is satanic. That was, in fact, Satan's desire. And that's why he fell. He used to be an angel in heaven. And his great sin was demanding glory. It's just the pride and all of that that comes with it. And when you demand glory, you get two things instead. 
Number one, you get really miserable. And number two, you get really close to hell. Why? Because in those moments, God is not number one. And you're cut off. Understand this. You're cut off from your intended design. You're cut off from the real reason that you were created. In those moments of total self-indulgence. Remember this. Jesus' prayer, it comes just minutes before his arrest. Hours before his crucifixion. And number two, this is Christ's hour of glory. This is his hour of glory. He says, my time, some versions say my hour, my hour has come. Verse one. What time is that? What hour is he talking about? Because you know what? When, when Jesus was urged by his mother to turn water into wine, do you know what he responded to his mom? He said, mom. My time has not yet come. In that moment, his mom may have thought that this was the time when Jesus was going to be glorified. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, not yet, mom. My time has not yet come. Now, at the end of John's gospel, chapter 17, there's this prayer. Minutes before he's going to the cross, he says, my time has come. Now it is. Now it's happening. This is it. What is that time? The time is the hour of his death on the cross. That is his time. He was, he had come to earth for this very purpose. We sang it in that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That's what this is all about. And now we're eavesdropping on Jesus' prayer. And we're getting now the Trinity's perspective of the cross. And it has everything to do with glory. And now, in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What Jesus has said here is that he, he is identifying that he has lost his glory. Or probably said better, that he has emptied himself of his glory. Philippians 2, 7 said that, says that he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of the glory that he had in eternity, set that aside, thought not equality with God is something to be grasped. And Isaiah the prophet speaks of him as tremendously ordinary as a human being. In 50, chapter 53 and verse 2 said, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Do you understand what? Is happening here. Not only did Jesus lose his divine glory that he'd already had, but on earth he didn't have any human glory either in life. Jesus was probably not that attractive, according to the prophets. Was probably not the person you would naturally be drawn to because, wow, aren't they charming and handsome? That's not necessarily, that's why when I see those pictures of Jesus, I I, I sometimes think that does not look like what Isaiah described him as because that guy looks really, really attractive in that picture. And maybe as the glorified Jesus, I bet he's way attractive now because we'd need like sunglasses (laughs) to be able to be in his presence. But what is Jesus asking of his father? Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Glorify me, he says. 
Understand this. You know, since he is just about to be beaten to a pulp, whipped on the way to the cross, we naturally assume that when Jesus says, glorify me, he is asking the Father to glorify him, and he's referring now probably to the things that are happening after the cross, right? The resurrection, the ascension. And we, we tend to think, and I have always thought of it this way, that as soon as the shame of the cross is over, then he's going to glorify me. But that's not what Jesus' prayer says. He means this. He means glorify me, Father, glorify me now in my hour on the cross. And you know what that means? It means this, that he's saying, I want to be glorified in the cross, that the ultimate expression of God's glory is not after the shame of the cross, but it's in the shame of the cross. And here's the thing, that the total humiliation of Jesus is now the ultimate expression of God's glory. Never more would God's glory be more profoundly expressed than in the moment on the cross when Jesus said it is finished and he gave his life up for you and for me. The ultimate glory giver has given the ultimate glory to you and to me once and forever. Wow. And Jesus is saying this is my hour of glory. You know what that means for people who are created in God's image? It means there is no greater glory than to give up your life, to give up your glory. There is no greater glory. There is no greater thing than to give up your own glory for someone else. And this, is, this then brings us then to the very meaning of life. And the very meaning of life then is to serve another, another human being, another person, to serve God. My favorite uh, Broadway musical is Les Miserables. It's a musical based on the book by the same name of Victor Hugo. Amazing music. If you have iTunes, go home and download the, this stuff and just listen to the words of the music because the entire gospel is contained in this Broadway play that's probably sold more tickets than anything else. And no one understands that it's all about Jesus. It bugs me. <laughs> but the last song. There's this little phrase, and it's almost sung in a whisper. It's just kind of this, almost this throwaway song as, as it's being sung sweetly, almost in the background. And the words are this. To love another person is to see the face of God. And I remember when I first heard that, I just wept. Because I have such a hard time loving people. Because I am so dang selfish. And I realized how much I don't measure up. And how much more I want to. Can be conformed into the image of the God that I was created. Because in this life you'll never be closer to hell than when you love and glorify yourself. And understand this, you're never going to be closer to the heart of God. Never closer to the kingdom of heaven than when you glorify and honor and serve another person. That's why those Micah 6-8 projects have felt so good. Amen? Why? Because you've been glorifying someone else who's not going to do anything for you in return. Why does that feel good? Because you're doing it the what you were made to do. 
You're getting to be the person God created you to be. You're, in those moments, expressing the quintessential definition of who God made you. And that is to love another person and to express his great love. To love and glorify another. This is our glimpse into the eternal. And we know from verse 24 in Jesus' prayer that what we experience now in small measure today is what we will experience fully, completely in heaven someday. Verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And here we see number three, our invitation to eternal glory. By faith in Jesus, the believer will one day be transported into the very heart of God's perfect glory. Where God's will is always done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That glory that is always being perfected in heaven. And we need now to stop thinking about this eternal life as a length of time, a long, long life. We sometimes think of when we think of eternal life. Because Jesus in his prayer, he defines eternal life not in terms of a quantity of time, but he defines eternal life in terms of a quality of existence. And he says this in verse 3. This is eternal life. Not that you're going to have a really, really long one. But that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus has just defined eternal life as knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. In eternity, this is what happens. Eternal life is this, is, is to see clearly without any obstacle the inner life of our eternal glory-giving God. Not only were you made to give glory, but you were made to be ushered in someday to the fullness of God's glory in eternity. So that you'll get to see and experience what God has always experienced in the Trinity from the time before the world began. And I can't, I just, I can use words to describe it, but I still just, I'm, I haven't even come close. Because it's just almost indescribable. To be able to be in the presence of God. And to experience what God has always experienced from the beginning of time. And so the question is this morning, how... Can I know that I'm destined for eternal glory? Is there something I need to do? I, I just I want to stop here for just a second because some of us might think, okay, well, if the definition of life is to serve one another, to give glory to others, I, I need to go out and I be, need to be nicer to people. You can do that. I, I kind of hope you do. But if that's all you do, you've really missed the heart of this. Because trying to be nice to people is going to be really, really frustrating. Because I don't know about you, but people aren't nice back. And it isn't just, it isn't in our nature to, to, to be the kind of person who can suck it up and not receive glory back. What kind of a person can do that? Well, we've only known one really that can do that perfectly, and that is his name is Jesus. You see, what we need 
isn't just to be a nicer you or me. What we need is to be like Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if you let him, by his Holy Spirit, come and transform you from the inside out. See, following Jesus isn't a religion of, hey, I've got to check this box and check that box. What we're talking about is the God of heaven, the Holy Spirit, coming in and redefining your default settings for life. That your default purpose now isn't to glorify yourself, but when you wake up in the morning, yes, you still have that sinful heart, you still have those tendencies, but your heart has now changed because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You actually want to please Him. That's what Jesus meant when He told Nicodemus to be born again. And some of us this morning need to be born again. You need to have that transformed heart. The reason you're having a difficult time loving people isn't that you don't have the capacity to be nice. What you're lacking is the presence of the Holy Spirit to completely change you from the inside out. That's what we need. He's talking about complete change. And so I would just invite you this morning to just give your heart to Jesus. If you're having a hard time with people, Guess what? They're probably having a hard time with you. And you just need to give your heart to Jesus. And you think, well, how can I become a glory giver? Be reborn into the image of God. Be born again. Pastor Dan, this morning, talked about getting baptized. Some of us need to get water baptized. You've been in a place where faith is, you've said, ah, I, you know, I don't know if I want to do that or not. But Jesus has commanded us to say, look, this is the way we identify and with his born-again spirit. The, 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 the spirit of life is that we identify with that in, in the water baptism. It's not that we have to do something to get something. It's just that we are expressing our heart of faith and we're saying, Holy Spirit, I want to die to myself. I want you to come and wash away that old person. And I want you now to come and remake me into the new person that you've always wanted me to be. That's the heart of the gospel. And then we can give other people the glory. And we can live for the glory of God. You live that way, you're going to have the happiest life that you could ever imagine. Some of us will look back on this day as a day of decision where the Lord changed us fundamentally in a way. And you'll know that this is where it began as you begin to walk out of this place today because God is coming to transform you. Some of us have been walking or claim to have or have been in church a long time. And your heart's gotten hard and it's gotten icky. You need to come and just say, God, I want to now, I, want, I need to be born again again. I just, I need you to come and remake me today because I've become hard to you. And if by faith you do that, he will. It's a prayer that he always answers, but we need to come in faith. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are more in love with us than we might even be with ourselves. And so, Lord, you know each of our hearts. And, Lord, I just pray that even in this moment, you'd give us the courage to respond. Just with our heads bowed, I just I want to just invite you. I think a message like this, God would invite us to, to respond in a way. And I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to do that. But I think we need an opportunity to claim and to say, yes, that's me, God. I, I want that. And if this morning you want the Holy Spirit to come and make you new, a new person, if you want to come and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to make me born again. I want to be new. If that's you, I would just invite you to just make eye contact with me. So just raise your head. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm just going to lift us up in prayer. There's about half a dozen of us this morning who just recognized me and maybe I'd missed you.